Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We black in the garden. have arrived at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talkin, hostess with the mostest of Black in the Garden. Hey, welcome to Black in the Garden. I am your host, Cola B. Talkin, the hostess with the mostest, a.k.a. Caladium Collector, a.k.a. Garden Twerk Team Captain, a.k.a. The Leaf Stroker. And you are listening to a podcast that celebrates the diverse and vibrant world of Black horticulturalists. Did I say that right? Horticulturists? Trust me, I know words. Plant enthusiasts. And today's highlight is a green industry professional. So many of us that do this are involved in the green industry. So many of you listening are already involved. Some of you want to be involved. If you want to be involved, you can get some tips on this here episode. I bet that for you. Okay. And also shout out to Leia, who is like my new favorite R&B girly for putting out her new album, Bet That. Oh my God, love it. Can't stop listening to that. We're talking about plants and stuff here, but I do, I love a good bop. Go listen to that if you haven't got a chance to. But I want you to know what's what you expect here. In this episode, you're going to hear from Chad Carroll, who is a seasoned professional and current executive in the landscaping industry. And Chad's story will gag you a little bit. You just got to listen. But he also shares some valuable advice for those who are looking to make a career in the green industry. All right. So I want to welcome you in if you are a new listener. Welcome. Hey, soil cousin. Soil Cousin, that is our inclusive, heavy on the inclusive way of identifying ourselves as the tribe that we are as enthusiasts of the Black in the Garden podcast and just this whole community. So if you're listening, it doesn't matter gender, identification, you're a Soil Cousin, okay? And I want you to get familiar with me, get in touch with me. You can text me at 833-819-3926. It's in the episode notes. Don't worry, I'm not going to say it again. But it is in the episode notes. And I love to hear from you. I love to get your feedback in real time. I try to answer as quickly as possible to the best of my ability. You will hear back from me if you text me. Okay, love to hear from you, especially about your thoughts on things that we've talked about already on the show. For example, we have recently discussed cotton cultivation. With Julius Tillery, did you hear that episode? We discussed Harriet Tubman's botanical legacy. Shout out to the Atlanta History Center for partnering with us to make that episode possible. We got bars. Okay, this is the new season. It's called Season Bloom. Who cares about numbers? We don't count anymore. It's just Season of Bloom. Something to know. Something of note that you may have noticed if you are a faithful, regular listener of Black in the Garden. I was about to say weekly. But that's not a thing right now because we are producing episodes every other week temporarily, just getting my bearings on the new season and everything else that's going on. Really, if I'm honest, big things be popping over here. Okay, we got some really amazing announcements about what all is coming up for your girl. Cole will be talking because I'm going to be doing some of that, a lot of that, in fact. But we're going to tell you more about that in the next episode. Just understand 
that for those reasons, because the things are popping, we just need a little bit of more time between the episodes. We got to do it real regular. And so regular right now for us looks like bi-weekly. And I'll update you again, October. We are currently in the year 2023. If you're listening to this from the future, October 2023, we'll get an update. So thank you so much for your understanding and patience with us as we are ramping up. How about we say quality over quantity? Anybody ever heard of that? Turn to your neighbor and say quality over quantity. (laughs) Now, if you want an episode to come out a lot, lot, lot more frequently, we can tell you a few ways to help us make that happen. I know you want to support the podcast. You're listening to it. Why would you not? Besides sharing it on social media, we talked a lot about that in the last episode. Why don't you go ahead and make sure you get some merch? What merch looks like for the Black in the Garden podcast is actually quite unique compared to most other podcasts because we got a coloring book, but not just any coloring book. We have the Black in the Garden coloring experience, which features beautiful illustrations designed by Paula Champagne, a visual storyteller, and she has illustrated many of the guests that we've had on Black in the Garden over the years. And that is currently what makes up the Black in the Garden coloring experience. And that is how you can really engage with the podcast in such a cool way because you can color a guest that has been on the podcast while you're listening to their episode. It truly is an experience. And what better coloring experience for you to have while you're listening to your favorite podcast? I'm just going to assume that than the Black in the Garden coloring experience. Always great to have a tangible item that allows you to show your support for a thing. So I love that for you. (laughs) I hope that you love that for you too. But we're going to go ahead and get into the meat of this thing. Our guest is Chad Carroll. Had such a great time in this conversation with him. As usual, we always have a good time with our guests on the Black in the Garden podcast. We discussed a few things, especially the Black misconceptions of landscaping and reasons why it's a hugely missed economic opportunity. It's a billion-dollar industry. I don't know if you knew that, but you're about to find out. You're going to learn today. And we're also exploring intersections here between landscaping, creativity, and horticulture. We just had so much fun geeking out, and we talked about so many aspects of landscaping, from hardscapes to international waterscapes. And you'll never guess which bougie legend that we compared the Japanese maple to. (laughs) So without further ado, Soil Cousins, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. And let's get into this interview with Chad. Hey, Soil Cousins, thank you so much for joining us as we get into another one of our interviews with our soil cousins, people who are doing really interesting things that I'm always particularly curious about. In this instance, we're speaking with Chad Carroll, who is a senior manager at Site One Landscaping. It's given away just off the title, Landscaping. Now we're going to get into that and talk more about what all is going on there, especially as it pertains to the culture. It's possible to make that connection, right, Chad? For sure. Okay, well, let's get into it. Welcome to Black in the Garden. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. And so I like to just get started with young Chad. Okay, so that way we get to know where you came from, how you came up, 
tell us a little bit about your upbringing and when you got introduced to plants. Let's walk through it. So, young Chad. Young Chad. Yes. Oh, man. Young Chad. I was born in Odessa, Texas, Mm -hmm. out in West Texas. And if anybody's watched uh, Friday Night Lights, that movie's based on my hometown. Oh, nice. Um, So... Yeah, born born out in West Texas, uh, tumbleweeds, desert, lots of sand. Um, you know, a little off the beaten path. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's West Texas is a different place. You know, mm. it's it's uh, not 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 a whole lot of vegetation. Um, a lot more a lot more arid than landscape, but nonetheless, early memories from early on in life. Uh, you know, came from a fairly small family. Um, I have an older sister and raised by my mom and dad. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and we, we lived there in Odessa for the first few years of my life before uh, my dad was relocated. He worked for a telephone company, was relocated out to Atlanta, uh, and, and we transitioned here. But I'd say young Chad was a pretty feisty little kid, um, nice. you know, strong-willed. Um, early memories of my grandmother gardening, my grandfather gardening, Ooh, uh, those memories it. were set pretty early in life and, mm-hmm. you know, um, tried to fight that urge for a little while in, in my, in my younger years, no. wanted to, wanted to go, you know, uh, business, you know, math, that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, when we relocated, figured out, um, you know, I, I, at least from the schooling perspective, it didn't seem like I was cut out for that. And, uh, you know, kind of ultimately ended up in the green industry, but you hmm. know, young Chad is a um, bit of a bit of a, a rebel. I don't want to say problem child, but you know, a little a little crazy, deceitful, mischievous. Yeah. you know that whole thing. So uh, a little bit all that rolled up in one. Well, it doesn't sound like you was hurting anybody. Were you smoking cigarettes behind the gym? Like, no, okay. just being hard headed. You know, running around, going places I wasn't supposed to go, That's, doing things parents asked me not to do. You know that kind of stuff. Sounds to me, I would diagnose that as a strong case of curiosity. So <laughs> I like it. That's yeah, pretty standard for you know you coming up. It sounds like you came up in the South essentially because you were raised in Atlanta, but you were born in Texas. Texan yes. parents, you know, moved to Atlanta where somewhere around elementary school. And he's in Atlanta, by yeah. the way, y'all. Yes, yes, mm. yes. So moved to Atlanta and in, in about the you know, middle middle of elementary school, kind of late elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, really got kind of thrusted into the South. It was a it was a, a significant cultural change, I'll say. Really? Um, it was, it was, believe it or not. It was um, you know, there's there was just a lot of elements of one, you know, all of my family's based in Texas, immediate extended, everybody's in Texas, somewhere in Texas. So Mm -hmm. when we, when we moved out, we were one of the few who left Texas, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm always a Texan. I tell folks that when I talk to you, I'm all (laughs) about Texas. I drive a Texas edition truck. Oh my Um, goodness. Wow. Represent. Okay. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, But you know, we got out here, it was like, uh, you know, we had celebrated Juneteenth in Odessa. Mm-hmm. It was just, we celebrated Juneteenth. It was what we did. Everybody went to the park. We had big celebrations around Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. We got here and it was like, nobody knew what we were talking about. We were like, Juneteenth, does anybody celebrate Juneteenth? We're oh. like, no, not really, you know, not so much. And, yeah. you know, and, and then over the years it became more popular, you know, but um, it, it was just, that, that was one of many things, you know, just culturally moving from Texas South to Georgia South was, was a big shift. 
Now that is definitely a culture shock element that we hadn't really discussed before on the podcast. And forgive me for not knowing exactly where the site of where the event that inspired Juneteenth to become the observation, but I know the state was in Texas, right? Can you tell us the city? I don't remember the city. I I I thought thought you were going to ask me that, but I know it was (laughs) Texas and it it still is a rite of passage. Mm. Uh, It wasn't an option. Everybody celebrated Juneteenth. The church got together. We went and got in the community with other churches. Mm -hmm. It was an event. It was a cultural norm, you know, and then Mm -hmm. when we got out here, it was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's Juneteenth. That doesn't go down around here on large scale, you know, and, and, (laughs) you know, Cole was crazy. We moved out here to Dunwoody. Uh, I was young, you know, like I said, early middle school, late middle school. But as I got older, we moved into Powder Springs and all these are kind of cities around Atlanta. I call them Atlanta uh, Metro area, right? And uh, we went to the first Powder Springs Day Parade. uh, And at the end of the parade, the Ku Klux Klan marched at the end of the parade. It was... Was this the 80s? This was, no, this was, this was, uh, this was late eighties, early nineties. Wow. Yeah. So was that a part of the program? It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was was celebration of the city, Uh their day celebration. And at the end of the parade was the Ku Klux Klan. And it was my first time seeing the Ku Klux Klan, like live in person, people in robes, the whole nine yards, you know, the white, red, the purple. You know, like these are people, right? Yes. Um, and so you know, it's just were there children? In the, it, it, there, there were some kids. Yeah, oh. yeah, there were some kids. It, it was, it was an interesting dynamic. So that's why I say cultural change significant, right? It's that's not something you you see. A lot of folks didn't think it existed. Um, so you know, it was real, real kind of shock to the system. This is a shock for me um, to hear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, now Powder Springs is it's complete opposite. There's the majority of the population of Powder Springs is black. So it's in the span of 20 years, 25 years, you know, it's gone from that to that. So, wow. um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, like I said, it was a cultural shock. There's there's so many stories, so many stories of the, the things that I'm sure you've experienced and I've experienced. I mean, what I can say is you yeah. are actually the second guest to mention uh, an observance of them in person. On the mm-hmm. Black in the Garden podcast, 2021, actually had my father on, on the podcast. I call him Daddy Be Talking. <laughs> and he shared an account of having witnessed the KKK in a different way. It was a little bit more alarming. And I would, of yeah. course, encourage y'all, if you haven't heard that interview, to go back and listen to that. It was the Father's Day yeah, special sure. from that year. But my goodness, yeah. what was was that a physical reaction? You can't mention that without me having yeah. any follow-up questions. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. No, it was both. You know, I was younger, and so, of course, it was a lot of questions for my parents after. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, what, what, what did I just see? And, you know, right. my dad walking me through. You know, and, and, and understanding that, okay, connecting what I'd heard and kind of partially read in history books yeah to being wait this is still actual there's still people who are part of this organization and so you know he used it as a lesson it was like hey you know what my dad everything was a lesson so it's mm-hmm. kind of like hey just this is why i say you know you can't trust everybody you can't take everybody at face value you mm-hmm. know you need to be careful where you go and you know make sure you're following the rules and it was just a, a another you know affirmation to hey you know, not everybody's got your best interest at hand. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas when we lived in Texas, we had a community, everybody knew everybody, you know, 
folks knew my grandparents. And if you got out of line, they'd, they'd snatch you straight and then go let your folks know. Um, hmm, whereas, you know, out here is a little different. Nowadays yeah. is a little different, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that urbanization aspect of things. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, wow, you're, you're taking us on a journey. So let's just pivot a little bit and get yeah, into yeah. how you ended up getting into landscaping. Uh, yeah. I want to go back to childhood and I just want to ask you this just yes or no. Did yeah. you imagine when you were that rambunctious young chat that you described that you would be in landscaping? No, no, no. no. So you mentioned mm-hmm. that you had an urge to fight this desire to plant. You talked about your grandparents yeah. and how they planted. Yeah. So take us from that resistance to where you are now. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned when I was younger, uh, my grandparents always had a garden. They always planted. My grandmother started uh, one of the first garden societies <clears throat> in Odessa where, where I was born. Mm-hmm. And so plants have always been in the mix with her. And I love that. as I grew up, I started noticing that I had a green thumb. Like I, I could grow stuff, plant stuff. It seemed to live. And so my dad was like, oh, you know, you seem to have a green thumb and mm. I just like doing it. And I didn't really know why. Right. And, and then as I got to school, folks, you know, teachers, instructors, professors tried to get me in a, you know, a, a major, uh, at that point that it was called a career focus, you mm. know, and so it was like, hey, you need to pick a degree. You should pick a major, pick a focus. And I'm like, you know, I don't even know if college is really for me. Um, huh. So, you know, I, I tried to fight that urge to go down uh, a tech path mm-hmm. um, or to, 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 to even go start my own landscape company. I had some friends in high school who started landscape companies. And they're like, man, your yard's always the greenest. It looks the best. Like, come work for me. Okay. Give me tips, you know. And and my dad always had me cutting the grass and taking care of the yard and putting the fertilizer down and pruning the shrubs. And I enjoyed doing it. It never really yes. felt like it was punishment, you know? And so young landscaper um, in the making, come on. You know, it was just, it was, it, now I say the stars aligned, right? But it was just kind of meant to be. And, and so I went through school and kind of let school push me in one direction. And so I said, well, I want, maybe I'll do landscape architecture. I like landscape, mm. I like design. So that's kind of what I focused on through high school. Uh, and then it became really clear once I graduated high school, I started at a two-year um, school locally uh, because my grades weren't good enough in high school to really get me into a college right out of the gate. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, let me go do this trade school thing, make sure I really know what's going on with landscaping and mm-hmm. and get my, get my GPA up and then I'll transfer. Well, in the process of doing that, uh, I made connections in the space um, and people started just really saying, hey, listen, like you, you like gardening you like landscaping you like plants like fight it you can do a career in this and I'm like well what would that look like because you know I don't want to just cut grass the rest of my life not that that's a bad thing to kind of summarize it I had some folks enlighten me on what careers look like in the green industry Mm -hmm. and then I realized wait I could be business minded Mm. and leverage green knowledge plant knowledge to really do something that I like doing and so um, that's when I really started honing in my career and, and yes. just got in the green industry, said, hey, I want to become a manager, want to learn how to run an operation in the green industry. Uh, and it just really kind of it, it, it piqued my interest enough for me to go just full, full bore and start driving for success in that, that space. And so you were encouraged by who were the top people who were encouraging you and, and why did you? 
take their encouragement seriously. To heart. There was there were two real kind of mentors. I'd call them indirectly. One was a, a former business owner who owned a landscape company. So he was a landscaper when I was at the two year trade school. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been a business professional before and he was kind of at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. He was like, hey, I did the corporate grind thing and it burned me out. And I went and started my own landscape company because I wanted something that brought me joy. I wanted to bring life, mm-hmm. I wanted to plant plants. And he's like, but you got a unique spot where you can, you can go carve this path for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so he really kind of painted this vision that I hadn't really thought about. And it was just, it was that little seed getting planted that, you know, drove, drove me down this path. And it still continues to drive me because it's like, I look back and say, man, the stuff I did two years ago, who would have imagined, you know, and it's just, it just keeps, keeps continuing because you just keep stepping out in this Mm -hmm. kind of uncharted path and you make your way. So what did you end up getting your degree in? So I ended up getting my degree in environmental horticulture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so plants and plant science. And then ultimately got a, a master's in business administration. It's my last degree that I've achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a there's been a couple bachelors in between. Yeah. So, um, you know, just have always been set to learn more, try to expand what I know, open to learning and growing and taking every opportunity I can that gets in front of me. I I am just loving the journey. And so I'm thinking about that young Chad, like the 15 year old, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about the youth just in general. And so I, I would wonder what advice you would give to young people, especially black youth who are interested in pursuing a career in the landscaping industry. That's a great question. I'd say the main point of advice that I would pass along is that you can build a career Mm -hmm. in the green industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so many black youth out there that just don't even think about, you know, green industry. Mm -hmm. They they immediately think landscape and the stigmas come into play around. That's where we're going. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm not, I'm not about mowing grass. And it's funny, you know, Cole, I was just at the manners <laughs> event yeah. and, you know, there were students that said that very thing to me. I was there in the space. They saw my shirt and they're like, site one landscape supply, man, y'all cut grass. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're so it. much more. Yeah. I know you're, we're talking about the youth, but let's get into the yeah. misconception so that we can get up to the other side of that and finish what that conversation was like with that young yeah. person. So, yeah. What's the biggest misconception that people have about landscaping? Oh, the biggest, the biggest misconception is folks hear the word landscape and immediately think the labor side of the business, right? Mm-hmm. They immediately think, I'm cutting grass, I'm digging trenches. <clears throat> you know, it's the hard blue collar work. Oh, that wow. Yeah, folks, yeah. That's what folks see, right? That's, that's kind of where they go in their mind. Is that across the board? Because like I know typically, you, you I mean, at least black folks. Is that what black people think yes. too? Most in black folks, experience? I would say, yes. Okay. Yes. So they're yes. thinking, yes. and and let me walk you through a little bit about what my perception journey of landscaping has been like. Initially, mm-hmm. it was that it was definitely something about cutting grass, <laughs> yep. Yep. and now it's more so. Or after that, after I got interested in um, plants more so, and I really was obsessed with the, those Western sunset, you know what I'm talking about, those sunset books, uh, mm-hmm. catalogs. And so I started mm-hmm. reading about landscape in the artistic perspective. And I got very interested in the the materials and like the different materials. Mm-hmm. 
So that's where mm-hmm. my mind is right now is more so like it's artistic, but I also consider when I think about landscaping, like when I saw the name of the company that you work for, it's like one, I was like, oh, materials, they must do materials. Mm-hmm. I did not assume mm-hmm. that there was labor involved. So yeah, please continue yeah, yeah. with, with debunking yeah. the myths. Yeah. So landscaping is, you know, it's, it's, it's about creating an environment. You know, you yes. touched on it. There's an art element, mm-hmm. there's a materials element, there's a design element to yeah. it. Um, but then there's also a whole industry around it, right? So there's, yeah. you know, landscaping is part of the green industry and, mm-hmm. you know, that industry, I'm sure it's some huge number, but, you know, I know for us, you know, we're, we're a, you know, $2 billion company that wow. supports the green industry, you mm-hmm. know, and the green industry is much bigger than we are. You know, there are, there are chemical companies out there that manufacture chemicals mm-hmm. that are utilized in managing and maintaining landscapes that are multi-billion dollar companies as well, you know, so. That um, amounts to a very um, big industry when huge, we're talking huge. about the economic as we're, we're talking right. in the billions. Oh, we're, we're, yeah, we're. Well we're, into the billions. Yes, well into the like billions. Like we can buy another sure. planet. Yeah, if you we talk about the to. green industry, green <laughs> industry is a huge, 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 huge market. Um, so, you know, for, for landscape for us, it's it's creating these environments. You know, what most folks experience when they walk out of their back door, or mm-hmm. out of their front door, you know, you walk into an environment. Um, we supply the products that help build that environment. So yeah. you know, our contractors execute the labor side of it, which is what most people think about when they think of landscaping. Mm. We provide the materials that those landscapers use to create that environment. So it's a lot of, you know, plants and yeah. grass and seed and pine straw and mulch and flowers plants, and irrigation yeah. and, you know, all that, all that great stuff that brings, brings the environment to life. Three main, uh, how, what are the main categories in landscape materials? Main categories would be uh, irrigation, mm-hmm. uh, landscape plant material, mm-hmm. Uh, and then hardscapes is quickly, quickly growing in this industry. So okay. you know, hardscapes is Good right there know. next in line with fertilizers and chemicals. We're trying to get all the information around here. We're trying to debunk those myths. I was going to ask, you know, how do you correct the misconceptions that people have? But I could answer my own question because I'm actually doing the action by uh, having a media platform and talking to <laughs> someone in the industry who can speak some truth to what it actually is. So I appreciate you for that. But now let's go back to this conversation with this, this young person at the conference. So they come up to you, they see site one on your shirt. They're like landscaping. Oh, I don't want to correct no grass. How did that turn out? (laughs) So I asked them, I said, you know, have you looked at site one? Have you pulled it up, pull it up on your phone and look. Mm -hmm. And I challenged them to go do the investigation. A lot of pull their phone out. And they say, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this was a, a business, like this is an industry. And I said, oh, yeah. And so I usually ask them what their major is. Usually their major is one of three things. It's either supply chain, mm-hmm. business management, or some sort of finance major. Mm-hmm. And all three of those capacities translate into a you know, career job yes. with companies like site one or, you know, there's, there's, we have some competitors out there too. So, you know, there's plenty of industry opportunity Uh, and, and typically students say, man, I just didn't know. Like, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about, Hey, I could go run a business for a larger company and, you know, manage 15, 16, $20 million worth of inventory. You know, it's like, that's, that's a, a very 
good paying, lucrative career mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, everybody chasing kind of that one dream of, oh, I'm going to go be the next, you know, the first black landscape architect or the first this or, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that's that's great aspiration. But, you know, there's more opportunity if you look in some of these other avenues. And, yeah. and uh, that was uh, that was kind of how we concluded the conversation. And, of course, we, I saw them later in the convention. They're like, wait, I went to your booth. And that's awesome. Like, y'all have okay. internships in the whole nine yards. So it was good. It was good. But um, yes. hear that a lot. Hear that you a lot. You planted a seed. It sounds right. like a seed planted to me. Okay. That's, so yep. I'm curious as to, I don't know, for lack of a better term, ratios. Where's the highest concentration of black people in the landscaping industry um, versus Man. where you would like to see more black people in the landscaping industry? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, Cola, honestly, before this past week, I would say it's not in the agriculture space. You know, hmm. from what I've seen historically, <clears throat> global or at least across the U.S., you know, our black or African-American population is, I want to say like 7% or something like that. Mm. It may be off a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, as it pertains to the green industry and a lot of the events and, and, uh, conferences that I've been to, it's, you know, it's single digits, like one or 2% is typically oh, wow. what I see. Wow. So very low. Um, you know, the manners convention that I attended this past weekend, it was, it was very different for me because that was an agriculture centered conference yeah. for black folks. So it was, you know, it was 3,000, 3,500 black college students really, with businesses and companies that are focusing on attracting that talent. So it was, it was my first time in my entire career being at a convention that was black centered. You know? I would so, love to talk to the organizers <laughs> of that event. Do you think you could help us yeah, make that happen? Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. I can definitely do that for sure. Awesome. <clears throat> okay. So, wow. So did you find anything surprising in your observations of what black people were interested in? Yeah, I did. You know, I did find one thing that was clear and it may have just been the group, but um, the students that I talked to were very intentional with what they wanted to achieve. So mm-hmm. like they knew where they, at least where they thought they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And we're pretty, pretty steadfast on getting there, you know, so there were a lot of students who were looking to get, you know, out of their current situation, you know, several students I spoke to said, Hey, you know, I'm just trying to get out of the country, man. I don't want to be a farmer. I'm trying to move into, you know, I want to move into something else, you know, or they're like, Hey, I, um, my family's in an inner city situation. Mm -hmm. There was a student I spoke with. She's like, you know, I'm, so we're living off of food stamps and like government assistance. And I'm the first one to get to college, you wow, know, and that's, that's on sponsorship and tuition and endorsement, you know, and, and, and so she's very, she was very focused on, you know, what are my opportunities? What are some paths that I can go after? Um, and so it was, you know, it was great to have conversation with her and, and build a connection. And, you know, it's, it's different when you get outside of that space, typically, you know, I see students who are horticulture majors who have seen the business already and know kind of what they want to do within the industry. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, at the manners event where we had more black students and, and uh, black youth, it was really more about improving their overall situation and just getting into a career mm-hmm. uh, more broadly versus a specific 
you know, role or position. <clears throat> so do you feel like your engagement there and your presence among, you said over 3,000 young, was it safe to say the majority of the attendants was Black college students? Yeah, I'd say it was easily probably 80%, 85 That is amazing. So do you feel like you had a positive impact with the people that you got to engage with? I hope so. I think so. Um, <laughs> I, so I know too. it was rewarding for me. You know, it's mm-hmm. that's that's how I usually kind of gauge it. If, if if I come out of it feeling like I've learned something new and made some new connections, and that's a win, and yeah. uh, it, it felt good. You know, for us as you know, as an organization, Site One, as a company, this this was our first time going to that event. Mm-hmm. So you know, like I told you, I didn't even know anything existed to that magnitude. So, you know, I think it was value add. We'll see over the coming months, you know, how students respond you okay. know, as far as whether or not we get recruits or get new new hires from the event. But I know we definitely planted some seeds for sure. Yes, got to keep planting those seeds. So I want to get into a few fun questions. But yeah. before I do that, I would be remiss to not ask you to tell us a little bit about your program that you have yeah. uh, that is more internal. So could you just explain like what that is and what you're doing there and why it's necessary for you to have created this initiative that you have or this resource group, right? That you have Mm -hmm. created at site one and y'all really need to hear this. Yeah. So bridge is an associate resource group or ARG. Some companies call them ERGs or employee resource groups. Uh, they're typically affinity groups that are created for specific underrepresented groups in an organization. Mm. Um, and so, you know, for Bridge, we established this this associate resource group back in 2020, kind of right at the end of the George Floyd murder, and as as protests were ramping up, yeah. and you know, I had participated in some protests here locally, and was just like, man, I got to do more. Mm-hmm. Uh, to affect my community, to affect, you know, just the space around me. And I immediately thought about, well, what about my work? Like, yeah, this is something we don't talk about a lot. There's not a lot of focus there. And, you know, we spend a lot of time in the space. So, and you know what your industry you know, looks like, you know, what representation yeah, could look like, but it's not quite there yet is what I, am. yeah, that's right. That's Assume. right. And, and that you correct? know, me and a couple coworkers, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Me and a couple coworkers got together because we were all just, you know, tore up. I mean, just completely not, um, well, and mm-hmm. we're like, man, like no one really gets where we're coming from. I've never been in that space, no matter the circumstances really on a deep level. But what I've yeah. heard and read about is that it was a different kind of fatigue that you experienced emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fatigue. It was burnout. It was, it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like just getting up on Monday and trying to put on a normal quote unquote face mm-hmm. um, was exhausting, you know? And, and the fact that there was very little recognition of anything that was going on, Meanwhile, you know, folks are calling and, you know, you're scared to go to the grocery store. You're scared to Mm. walk out of the house. There was a lot of dynamics going on there. Uh, And with low representation, um, there was some additional support that was needed. Right. And so um, I reached out to our HR team and just said, hey, you know, how do I start an associate resource group? We had some other uh, resource groups that have been created, a group for women, a group for veterans. So, you know, I said, hey, right now seems like as good a time as any to, to let 
our associates know that we care about them, and especially for black associates, highlight the resources that we have out there to help. And, and our company had a lot of great resources there, but we just hadn't socialized them. And so, you know, the burden's on the minority group to go find the resource. And of course, mm. you know, you're asking folks who are already struggling to go ask for help. You know, that's not, not a recipe for success. So, so uh, we, we sent the request in and uh, they approved it almost immediately. And it was kind of like, hey, all the associate resource groups have to be associate led. So I found a few other employees who are willing to help me, uh, but it was pretty much just me pushing the ball to get it going. Uh, so we got the associate resource group started and, um, you know, we made sure that we provided resources to all of the, uh, black associates, <clears throat> really the resources went out to all associates, but the information was targeted toward black associates. So we mm -hmm. made sure that we had, you know, we drove awareness around therapy, yeah. you know, any mental health support that folks needed. And we made sure that we had black resources to leverage, right? Because that was a, it's a big piece. It's still a big piece of this. It's like a lot of corporations have the associate support, mm -hmm. but they don't have specific resources to support black folks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's a challenge, especially as we're going through all this racial trauma yeah. and lots of different traumas for us as a people. Um, you, you, you can, people can mess things up real quick. So mm. <clears throat> we made sure those resources were set up to support black associates and then really promoted them to our, to our associates. Uh, and then we, we just started really putting events together. You know, we, we do a Juneteenth event to highlight Juneteenth and the history behind that. We celebrate black mental health awareness month, um, you know, to really just drive awareness around the black culture and to really normalize black. You know, because for yeah. so long, people were scared to say black. You know, it's like, oh, they're African-American or they're people of color. Or, <laughs> That's, you know, I it's like, there's nothing wrong with saying time. black. Yeah. You, know? you can just say like, black. You're black. There's nothing wrong. You don't have to whisper it. I'm a black to, lady. You know? you, yeah, That's you don't right. have to whisper it. That's right. <laughs> you don't have to whisper it. I can tell some of these experiences that you might have had down to the country club. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. Mm. so okay i'm I'm laughing i appreciate everything that you have shared so far i have a lot more you know like industry kind of you know serious -er oh, yeah. questions i make mm -hmm. up words sometimes by the way have fun um <laughs> but i want to ask more fun questions like what's your favorite type of plant to work with oh my why? favorite plant that's yeah that's a Hard question. I, I think my favorite plant, to be totally honest, has to be the Japanese maple. Acer Ooh. palmatum is the species name. With the red, but there's leaves. a bunch of varieties. Yeah, and I think that's why I like it so much. It's a it's a woody tree, mm -hmm. deciduous, so it drops its leaves in the winter time. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a variety that I really really like called uh, coral bark, mm -hmm. uh, and it has a bright red stem. Mm -hmm. yellow leaves when the leaves come out and it's just a cool plant and, and wow. uh, there's a whole lot of neat species of japanese maples out there uh it tends to be kind of the the diamond of the landscape typically when you see them in the landscape they're they're featured they're always lit up at night yes. and you know it's a they're, big they're deal pretty pretty plants that's that's one of my that's one of my favorites if i had to pick one i feel like japanese maple is very much like a diva of the tree world she she always gets her respect she's Maybe even like the Mariah Carey, if you will, because yeah, there you um, go. what we know about Mariah Carey, if you know, you know, she's very particular uh -huh. about her lighting. <laughs> <laughs> she's 
she's got quite the rider out here. And you know, I mean, so is that a part of landscaping uh, supplies, by the way, is lighting? I'm always curious yeah. about like all the little elements that come yes. together. And when you see a well-done finished project, you know that it's well done because of how seamless it looks and how everything kind of comes together. You know, you can tell yeah. a lot about how much someone has invested in their landscape by the way that it's lit up at night. Yeah, for can sure. Can you speak to so that? Yes. So nerd yes, out a little bit. We're having down. fun. This Hands is how I have down. fun. Oh, black and the yes. <laughs> So landscape lighting, yes. You 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 that's for sure we can talk about it, right? Let's so do it. Landscape lighting is another element of creating the environment. Right? Yes. And so you know a good landscape when you walk into it and you feel a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's um, I walked into that's right. That's Y'all right. got it's a new vibe. slogan it's now. A, You're welcome. Total <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, landscape lighting, the thing about landscape lighting is it's a way for you to extend your outdoor environment. Mm. So, and I say extend because when we get into daylight savings time and the days get shorter, mm-hmm. you know, when you're getting home from work, it's already darker. It gets dark pretty quickly thereafter. Yeah. You can position the landscape lighting as such that it provides enough ambient lighting for you to still be outside in the late afternoon, right? So you can get an extra two or three hours on the back patio, or you can get an extra two or three hours walking around the backyard and enjoying the environment because the landscape lighting provides enough ambient light for you to move around. If it's done well enough, yes. you can you can traverse the landscape in the dark, right? So you can yeah. you can enjoy the landscape and see it in a completely different way of looking at it mm. because you're seeing the shadows that are cast by the lighting and the environments that are created by just the lighting at night. Yeah, and I've also recently read about um, moon gardens. I think that's what mm-hmm. it's called, where mm-hmm. the plantings are very specifically including a lot of white foliage and flowers Yeah, yeah. in order yeah. to create that reflective kind of ambiance. Like, once again, mm-hmm. it's a vibe. And that's, um, right. that's yeah. one of the ways that you can play with light at night. See, mm-hmm. now I, I might need to come over to site one and offer y'all some of my expertise. Okay, so. <laughs> there you go. Landscape lighting class right there. Landscape Moonlighting lighting. 101. Yes. So if you could mm-hmm. teach a master class, mm-hmm. what would it be on? Oh, man. In reference if I could to teach landscaping. A, to, in reference to landscaping, if I could teach a master class, it would be on water feature construction. So ponds wow. and waterfalls. That I'm would be the that. class. I'm, I'm very much into that. As a matter of fact, um, that was a part of my initial journey into learning about like, you know, like the amateur when I'm first very curious about it. And watching YouTube videos and seeing how they would make these um, small fountains for their yard. You know, YouTube is a very DIY kind of space. Mm -hmm. So I was curious about how to do it, but it was very intimidating. So could you offer any tips for a home gardener who wants to create a really dope fountain since you are the masterclass? You said it, not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What are... I don't know, two or three tips that you could provide, whether it be a certain type of material to get or what what you got for us. I, I think the biggest tip I would provide is to build the largest water feature that you can afford the first time around. So mm-hmm. um, I've done spent a little while in water gardening construction and all of that. And folks tend to try to build something really small to start. 
and then they kind of get hooked and then they'll build something a little bigger and then a little bigger. And the next thing you know, they've, they basically built it three or four times over, you know? So for mm. beginners, the best thing to start with is just a patio. There's little water garden bowls yeah. that you can put water in a little fountain, get the sound of the water, but not have to necessarily build anything okay. really intimidating. So just determine if you like it, if you really, if that touches your soul and really moves you. Uh, and if it does, then you got, you need to just, just go ahead and bite the bullet and either do something a little bigger. Yeah. Um, so that you have a more permanent structure because uh, those smaller outdoor water features tend to become a, a big a bit of a maintenance time commitment. Mm. Um, just given that they're outside, really? water evaporates, water you have to features. fill them up constantly. And, you know, it's it's that kind of that kind of thing happens a lot. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I'm I have a burst of questions, but we're going to wrap it up. So I'm going to ask maybe like one or two more. I keep trying to mute my mic because I'm in my home studio where your friends out here, the landscaping boys <laughs> with the blowers. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. yeah they out yeah. here uh, serving up more misconceptions about what, <laughs> what landscapers <laughs> actually do. But that's just a joke, just a call back to the beginning of the episode. You, yeah, you have to go yeah. back and listen if you're tuning in late. But, okay, so on the subject of your masterclass where you are very much like that dude to tell us what's good with water gardens. Mm-hmm. Where's the place that has the most inspirational water garden to you? Because I know when we get into the world of things, I'm thinking specifically yeah. in the, the UAE, that's like a part of the culture of their gardens there. So yep. 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 where would you go? What, what's, what's inspirational um, to you? You know, at least in the spaces I've been in, most of the local botanical gardens mm-hmm. have really good representation of water features. Shout out to Atlanta. You know, Atlanta Botanical Gardens has a couple. We love them um, here. Know, they, yes, yes, they have one where there's a meandering kind of uh, stream that flows into a, a kind of lower water pool, water pond area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. I think the reason why I picked Water Garden Water Features is it brings it all together, right? Mm-hmm. You have the hardscapes, you got stone, you have water, you have plants around it to soften everything. Mm-hmm. Landscape lighting goes in it to make it look beautiful at night so you can enjoy it anytime. Yeah. Um, and there's something just, there's something primal about the moving water and all of that nature Mm -hmm. that is just, you can't, you can't escape it. Like once, once you get around it, you're like, oh yeah, this is great. I just, I need to stay here forever, you know, and have that in your own backyard is amazing. Wow. Well, I am just a big fan of that sensation of hearing that water behind you. Um, Mm -hmm. We, we about to come to a close, so I'm not even going to bother with trying to edit around this sound that I feel like is so loud of this blower that's getting closer. <laughs> totally. I'm so totally I'm just going to I'm just gonna speak to it and be like, yeah, I, I see what you did because I was picking on you. But I would love to attend your master class. I don't know. Maybe you can come back and, and give us uh, some more specific uh, tips on uh, how to really get our home gardens going from the perspective of landscaping. I think that would be dope. Yeah. Uh, is there yeah, anything no, else you. that you want to debunk before we get into the closing of things? No, I think it's really just, uh, you know, for, for young folks who may be in college or even in high school listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. I'd say, hey, you know, there's opportunities to build a career in the green industry, especially in landscape supply. 
um, you know, it's, it's reaching out and leveraging some of the, uh, groups that are out there, uh, but also just asking your professors, asking folks like myself that are in the industry, um, to let them know what you're interested in and see if there's opportunity. Cause I think, think a lot of folks will be surprised. All right. So y'all heard it here first. Make sure that you are finding the resources that will help you to get to that goal so that we can get more representation in this space. So if our listeners want to learn more about you or learn more about Site One, where would you send them to? Yeah, Site One, we have uh, a page on the internet, uh, siteone.com. Um, and there's plenty of job postings there for folks who are interested in current opportunities. And then, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, um, always open to connecting with folks and, and joining. And then the other resource that I mentioned earlier would be Manners, uh, M-A-N-A-R-R-S, um, Manners.com. They are a great organization helping to promote minority students in the agriculture space. Okay, Chad, thank you so much for your time. I know uh, being in the executive space, it is very valuable. So I do not take it for granted. To my soil cousins listening, I hope that you were enriched by this and inspired in one way or another. And I want to wish you all love, light, and soil. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Cola.